0: Pastors' Conference in uh, Dubai at UCCD as we help celebrate their 50th anniversary, and it was a it was a blessed time. Thank you for your prayers for us. We came back very excited and encouraged in the Lord, and thankful also for the ministry of UCCD as um, they do celebrate their 50th anniversary. It was exciting to see as they brought back all of their interns that they have trained over the years, and they prayed for them and they. It just spoiled them. It was wonderful to see how these interns that were trained by UCCD are now ministering and planting churches in different parts of the world, it was very, very encouraging. And um, again, as we, as a church, get our minds on missions, we are encouraged in the same direction and looking forward to how the Lord would use us as a local church to carry the gospel to the outermost parts of the world. And that's really what Acts is teaching us. We are in the book of Acts. We've been going through the book of Acts over the last few months, verse by verse. And we are in Acts chapter 14 this week. If you have your Bibles, I encourage you to to turn in. Uh, We've seen so far, Paul and Barnabas have been sent by their local church, the church at Antioch, to carry the gospel to the outermost parts of the earth. And these two missionaries we've seen have boldly proclaimed the gospel, and the Spirit of God has worked through them, confirming their ministry. And our text today shows the faithfulness of Paul and Barnabas. Again, they are encountered with some challenges and some difficulties, and they are being faithful as they go through these these challenges, as they complete their first missionary journey. And of course, their experiences are recorded for us. Um, Not just for our entertainment, but for our edification. They are recorded for us so we can follow their example. So we will be reading Acts chapter 14 this morning, from verse 8 to 28. The title of my message is, The Shipwreck of Human Approval. The Shipwreck of Human Approval. So please read with me in verse 8. Now at Lystra, there, were, there was a man sitting who could not use his feet. He was crippled from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul speaking, and Paul, looking intently at him and seeing that he had faith to be made well, said in a loud voice, Stand upright on your feet. And he sprung up and began walking. And when the crowd saw what Paul had done, They lifted up their voices, saying in Lyconian, The gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. Barnabas they called Zeus, and Paul Hermes, because he was the chief speaker. And the priest of Zeus, whose temple was at the entrance to the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates, and wanted to offer sacrifice with the crowds. But when the apostle Barnabas heard of it they when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of it they tore their garments and rushed out into the crowd crying out men why are you doing these things we are also men of like nature with you and we bring you good news that you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea, and all that is in them, In past generations, He allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways, yet He did not leave Himself without witness, for He did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, and satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. Even with these words, they scarcely restrained the people from offering (coughs) sacrifice to them. But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. But when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered the city. On the next day he went on with Barnabas to Derby. When they had reached the gospel to that city, when they had preached the gospel to that city, and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church, with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Then they passed through Basilia and came to Pamphylia. And when they had spoken the word in Perga, they went down to Atalia, And from there they sailed to Antioch, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had fulfilled. When they arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them and how He had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. And they remained no little time with the disciples. Please pray with me. Father, we are thankful for this report that we have just heard of the missionary trip that Paul and Barnabas took, Lord, we are thankful for the church that had supported them in this mission. we thankful for this church here in Antioch who had had, had their vision, had their focus right in fulfilling the Great Commission. And Lord, as we hear from this report this morning, as we see the details that have been recorded for us, we ask that you would help us, Lord, to be the doers of your word. We pray, Father, that your Spirit would teach us. We pray, Lord, that He would open our eyes to the truths that are here. That we would not we would not leave here, not hearing from you today. So I pray for your help as well, as the word is preached. And none of your words fall to the ground. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. I remember some advice that I received from a more mature pastor once once that I had never ever forgotten. Kerry and I were ministering in India at the time and we were going through a very difficult um, time in our ministry. Someone had falsely accused us and laid a false charge against us at the the police station. We had been asked to leave the organization that we were working with for, for four years simply because I had been preaching the gospel and it seemed like many of our friends who we had made were avoiding us. And after hearing my, my sob story, this wiser pastor, he said to me, Gareth, remember, God is your audience. If you want applause from men, then why don't you join the circus? Those were harsh words, but they were words that I, that I needed to hear. And I realized he was right. As long as I was being faithful with making disciples of my Savior Jesus, and I was right in His eyes, it shouldn't matter to me what other people thought and what other people were doing. What should matter to me the most is what God thought of me. And the Apostle Paul we see here doing exactly this in our text. He's a great example that we can learn from. The Apostle Paul lived differently It seems he had been freed, he had been liberated from the need to be liked by people or to be respected by people. We see here he moved from from town to town. He moved in and out of crowds, really anchored in the safety and the satisfaction of knowing Jesus. Many adored the Apostle Paul. Many loved him even to the point of worshipping him as we see in our text here this morning. And of course, there were others that hated him, as we see in our text as well this morning. Many even tried to murder the Apostle Paul. But he lived and he served the Lord above the ratings and the approval of men. He worked for someone else's fame. Whatever that fame might cost him personally, in in popular opinion, he was willing to serve the Lord alone. And he really is an example for us of someone who abandoned the shipwreck of human approval for the sake of the gospel. And this morning we're going to see why human approval is really a shipwreck that we shouldn't be living upon. My first point this morning is from verse 8 to verse 18 and the title, well the first point is Zeus, Hermes. And human approval, Zeus, Hermes, and human approval. Look at verse 30, uh, verse eight. At Lystra there was a man sitting who could not use his feet. He was crippled from birth, and had never walked. Verse nine. He listened to Paul speaking, and Paul, looking at him intently and seeing that he had a faith to be made well, said in a loud voice, "Stand upright on your feet!" And he sprang up and began walking. Verse 11, and when the crowd saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices, saying in Lyconian, the gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. Look at the response. Well, sorry, Barnabas, they called Zeus and Paul Hermes because he was the chief speaker. And the priest of Zeus, whose temple was at the entrance to the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates and wanted to offer sacrifice with the crowds. Now Lystra was a a small town, it was a small outpost of the, the Roman Empire, about 20 miles southwest of Iconium. And the Lystrians were generally uneducated people, and it also seems they were very gullible. One commentator says, the people were half barbarous as well. And he adds that Romans ruled the land, the Greeks controlled the commerce, And the Jews had little influence. So it was very different from the city that they had just come from, from Iconium. And since there was no synagogue here in this city, Paul probably preached the gospel in an open marketplace. And we see here, during one of his messages here at this marketplace, he notices in the corner of his eye a lame man on the side of the road. And verse 9 tells us, that this man was listening to Paul, this man was listening to what Paul was preaching. We saw in our text last week in Acts chapter 13, in verse 44, while Paul and Barnabas were still in Pisidia Antioch, that almost the whole city had gathered together to hear the word of the Lord. They gathered to hear the word of the Lord. And again, we see a wonderful response to the gospel from a lame man sitting on the side of the street. By hearing with faith, that results in obedience. This lame man who had been hearing the gospel preached by Paul, we see, was then healed by Paul. And Paul loudly commanded this man who was lame from birth to stand upright. And when he leaped to his feet and began to walk, the crowd was amazed. The crowd was amazed at the power of God. Well, verse 11 tells us when the crowds saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices and like Phinehas. The gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. And Barnabas they called Zeus, and Paul, because he was shorter probably, and because he was the speaker, they called Hermes. And they're speaking in their native language, Lyconian, And of course, Paul and Barnabas, they never understood that. But they were speaking excitedly to each other. These are gods. These are gods. These are gods that have come down to us. Well, there's a little bit of history around that to give you some context. Okay? One commentator tells us that they were basing their identification on a legend. On a legend that the Roman poet Ovid had, had written. So according to the this, to this, to this story, Zeus and Hermes had once visited a valley near Lystra in the same area. And they went from door to door, Zeus and Hermes, but no one was opening up their doors and inviting them in. And finally they came to a cottage where a poor couple took them in and, and fed them and they gave them a bed for the night not knowing that they were Zeus and Hermes. Now, these are Greek, supposedly Greek gods, okay? And because of their kind hospitality, these two Greek gods turned this poor couple's cottage into a golden roofed temple. And the people of um, Lycia, the ones who didn't open their doors to these, to these um, Greek gods were destroyed. That's, that's the, the myth, that's the legend. And of course, the people of Lystra, they knew this myth, they knew the story very well. And they didn't want to make the same mistake. So they run to the local temple of Zeus, and they tell the priests there what Paul had just done. And we see what happens. They quickly run down, bringing garlands, garlands with, with flowers that they that their honor people, put over their necks. And they bring an an ox to sacrifice to these two visitors who they thought were these Greek gods. But I want you to notice how Paul and Barnabas respond to these acts of worship. Did they enjoy the attention? They could have. Did they delight in the -the over-the-top affirmation and support? They could have. Did they change their handles to at Zeus and at Hermes and retweet a few lines of the the people's praise? They could have if they had internet those days. But what did they do? They ran away from these raving fans as fast as possible. Look at verse 15. Men, why are you doing these things? We also are men of like nature with you. And we bring you good news that you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea. And it is all in them. The apostles were horrified. That is their response. The apostles were horrified at this this celebrity worship. Verse 14 says, They tore their robes. As they ran into the midst of the crowd with great difficulty, they, they, they restrained him. They couldn't. With all the words, they couldn't restrain this hero worship. Notice verse 15. Paul says, he calls them, these idolaters, he calls them to repent and to do what? To turn to the living God. Paul is calling the worship of Zeus and Hermes, vain. He's calling it empty. He's calling it worthless. And you can imagine as he is pointing out the sin of idolatry to the, to the very gods that are probably um, being, being made and, and erected on the, on the sides of the hills, pointing to these statues, calling them vain, calling them worthless, calling them empty. I'm sure this was not popular with the crowds. I've had people say to me that I was Zeus. No, I haven't had that happen ever. Um, But I've had people come to me and say to me, Pastor Gareth, you know, you mustn't be preaching so much about sin and repentance. Why don't you rather focus on on God's love? (laughs) Rather focus on, on God's love. That way you won't offend people and And more people will join our church. Don't confront people's sin. But notice here what Paul is doing. He points out the vanity of their sin in worshipping idols. He doesn't beat around any bush. He doesn't say, well, let's just make friends with them first and then we can share the gospel with them. Let's do friendship evangelism. Paul is pointing out the vanity of their sin. And then he says, repent. And then he says, repent, turn from it. And as Paul preaches the gospel here, he is calling them to turn from their idolatry and turn towards the true and living God. To Paul and Barnabas, this, this allurement of human approval, this acceptance and esteem and intense admiration seemed to them more dangerous, more dangerous than these enticing more these words threatening than more tempting. And they knew the roots of the crowds, flattery, idolatry, would eventually kill each and every single one of them. And so they confronted them. They risked their, their social status with a brave call to worship the true and the living God. These are faithful servants that we can learn from. They were faithful servants and their spontaneous response we see was to point people away from their sin and toward the living and true God. I said last week, remember we were talking about our response. And I said last week that our response to to opposition and our response to persecution must be determined by our love for God, not our fear of man. And here we have a perfect example of this taking place. Paul and Barnabas love God and love his gospel more than anything else, more than human approval. Look at what Paul says in Galatians chapter 1. Please turn there with me to Galatians. Chapter 1 tells us in verse 10, For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. For I would have, you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. You know, Most people spend their lives trying to please others. We don't see that happening here with the Apostle Paul at all. And if you need to be convinced of that, just go look at Facebook. Go look at Instagram. But Paul challenges us to take the, the road less traveled, he challenges us to avoid this shipwreck of human approval. And He challenges us to live our lives to please God. And I think that's a pretty important matter that we need to settle in our, in our lives. That's a question we need to ask ourselves. Are we living to please others? Or are we living to please God? The story continues looking Verse 19 to verse 22, we see from worship to weapons, from worship to weapons. The very next verse, in Acts chapter 14, verse 19, in the story it reads, But (laughs) "But Jews ended up stoning Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. They stone Paul and drag him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. Having narrowly escaped being worshipped by the crowds, Paul immediately faces a new crowd, a new mob that has a very different, even violent attitude towards him. They don't like what he is preaching. They are offended by his message. One group tries to worship him, And another group tries to murder him. One moment he's exalted as a god. And the next he's brutally beaten and he's gasping for life. One moment he's he's the celebrity pastor. And the next minute he's the notorious villain that's been executed on the streets. He wasn't snubbed at the office or he wasn't unfollowed on on somebody's social media, or he wasn't ignored by friends and family. The Bible tells us he was beaten with rocks, and then he was left for dead. All for simply giving the good news of Jesus Christ. How did Paul respond to this attempt on his life? How did Paul respond to the most severe criticism and opposition In Persecution from man. How did he respond? Did he give up? Look at verse 20. It tells us he didn't. It tells us he went to another city. He just went to another city to say more about Jesus. But when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up. He entered that city. And then on the next day, he went on with Barnabas to Derby. I think what is even more amazing that after they had finished in Derby, they continue back, they go back to Lystra. They go back. Now remember what has just happened in Lystra. This is the city where he was stoned. This very, these very stones from the city still are laid covered in the blood of the Apostle Paul. Look at verse 21. When they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, this is in Derby, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch. This is the city that wanted him dead. Why did they go back to the city? What were they doing there? Well, it tells us they went back to those believers who had responded to the gospel, they went back to encourage them in their faith. Look at verse 22. They were strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in their faith, and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. William Barclay, a commentator, he he adds, he says, Paul never did a braver thing than to go straight back to the city which had tried to murder him. It is quite clear that a deed like that would have been more would have had more effect than a hundred sermons. Men were bound to ask themselves, Whence came the courage that enabled a man to act in such a way? Where did he get this courage to act in such a way? That's a good question, isn't it? We talked a little bit about that last week. I hope you can answer that question. I think the message we see very clearly from the Lord is that our response to opposition and persecution must be determined by our love for God, not our fear of men. The reason Paul had courage is because he was not a slave to human approval. He didn't care what people thought of him. He cared what God thought of him. Paul accepted their criticism. He wasn't controlled by their criticism. Paul accepted their rejection. He wasn't a slave to their approval. He even embraced their hostility. Because he did not live for what other people thought of him. But he lived for what he thought of Jesus. See his confidence in the gospel here, folks. See his confidence in God. Paul did not make decisions so that more people would like him but so that more people would follow Jesus, so that more people would love Jesus. And these two scenes that we have in one city, they really illustrate for us this shipwreck of human approval. Whether the world applauds us, or whether the world attacks us, if they do not worship Jesus, they are going to die in their sins. They are going to die without any hope. And their approval or even their rejection really has no bearing on our eternity. Their rejection and their approval of us certainly will not even save them. The question we have to ask is will we surrender our need to be loved in order order to truly love the lost? Think about that for a moment. Why don't we share the gospel more with people? Are we controlled by our love for people? Are we controlled by our love for the gospel? Are we controlled by our love for Jesus? Are we too afraid to speak the gospel to people because we might offend them and they might not like us and therefore we keep our mouths shut? Over time, some people in the world may may like us and they even may admire us for being morally good people or or spiritual people. But at some point, if we are faithful with the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Bible tells us they will hate us because they hated Jesus first. At least they'll hate what we believe, as well as the decisions we make because of, of what we believe. Jesus promises in Mark 13, you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. But as we retreat from the treacherous and the counterfeit shipwreck of human approval and we hide ourselves in Christ, we no longer need to fear. We're no longer tempted to boast. We will no longer cower to, to please others. We will live instead for the pleasure of knowing God and being known by Him. Does that control your decisions? Do you want to be known by God? Do you love Him? I think the message here this morning is very simple. There's nothing really profound here this morning. Do we care too much about what people think of us? Is that why we are not as effective as we would like to be when it comes to being a witness for our Savior, Jesus Christ? We need to beware of acceptance. We need to beware of even rejection. We shouldn't be controlled about what people think of us. Beware of followers and beware of of enemies. Beware of people's praise and, and beware of people's criticism. But above all, be content. Be content in what God says about you because you are in Christ. Because you are in Christ. Find your identity and your confidence in the Lord. Not in what people think about you or your status here on this earth. This really will free you up from what the, the world and, and everything else thinks about you. And it will free us to tell the world and the offensive message that it desperately needs to hear. I'll talk a little bit about that as we as we finish. But let me go to my third point. Verse 23 to verse 28. Here we see edification and encouragement. After encouraging the believers here and setting up elders in the, the churches that they had just planted. Paul and Barnabas, they sailed back to Antioch to their ascending church. And we read in verse 26. They sailed to Antioch where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had fulfilled. Verse 27. And when they arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them. And how he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. And they remained no little time with the disciples. They remained a long time. So they gathered the church that had sent them out. And what are they doing here? They're giving a report. They're reporting all the things that God had done with them. It must have been a thrilling experience to hear these stories. As they shared how God had opened the doors of faith to the Gentiles. no doubt the church in Antioch had been praying during this this year. They had been gone a whole year. And and they had been holding them up to the throne of grace and wondering what these, these men had been doing. But here they're giving a report. Remember, they didn't have email back in these days. They didn't even have snail mail to let them know the progress of the work. So they're giving a report. But eventually, the men report back and the church rejoices in what God had done, and what God had done. And I think there's a good application here for us, a lesson for us to learn. As a church, we have a responsibility to pray for our missionaries. We have a responsibility to support our missionaries. And the missionaries have a responsibility to the church to let them know what God is doing through them in their work, and that's why we get newsletters from them. And our missions team, that's what we're going to be doing shortly. We're going to be having Zoom calls with our missionaries to pray for them and encourage them. And I hope that you will join the mission team as we do that. And they're going to give a report to us and let us know some of the struggles that they're facing and some of the joys that they're facing. Please join us when we, when we do that. And we are praying that this will obviously promote in our church an interest for, for missions, and that all of us will see how we can be involved and be part of extending God's kingdom on this earth. And that's encouraging. I want you to see the missionaries didn't just just go and take recordings or whatever they did in those days and send them back and tell people how magnificent they are. They went back to their church and told them what God had done. They went back to their church and told them what God had done. Look at Acts chapter... 14 as we as we finish here this morning. And when they were come and had gathered the church together, they rehearsed all that God had done with them and how he had opened the door of faith unto the Gentiles. Notice here, they are pointing people to the living God. They're not pointing people to themselves. They're not trying to build up their own ministry here. They are exalting the Lord Jesus Christ. They reported All things that God had done and how He had opened the doors to the Gentiles. They're giving the credit to the Lord Jesus Christ. And I think if God doesn't do the work, there will be no fruit, obviously. In some places, Paul and Barnabas did not see as much response as they would have liked. And they didn't have a lot of good news to share. They had a lot of negative news to share about people's responses. But whatever the responses, they were depending on the Lord. They were depending on the Lord. And we see when the Lord works mightily, they give Him the glory. It was only by His grace that they were able to have gone out. And it was by His grace that they had accomplished anything. Now we are praying and we are looking forward to the day that we can lay our hands on. Pedro and Victorina and send them to Angola but there will be a time when we can bring them back and we can fellowship with them and they give us a report of what the Lord is doing in Angola and the report could be positive the report could be negative but I'm pretty sure that they're going to point all of us to the Lord and what God is doing not what they are doing but you know it's so easy isn't it to be distracted in our mission. I think this is where it all ties together. It's so easy to be distracted in our mission. It's so easy to crave the approval of man rather than the approval of God. You now by nature, we think more about what people think of us than about what they think about Jesus. If you've ever caught yourself wondering how many likes your picture received on social media, or you felt a a jolt of excitement at a notification dot in the corner of one of your apps, you know exactly what I'm talking about. I think our longing for approval is, is really grounded in God's original design. Remember in the Garden of Eden, we see God offering approval to Adam when he completed his first creation. What did God say? It is very good. That's God's approval, isn't it? It is very good. And at the very moment, we crave to hear God's approval. But we know what happened in the Garden of Eden. Because of Adam's failure, humanity has lived in a, in a perpetual state of longing for this divine approval ever since. But because of the separation, because of the sin, we have been separated from this fellowship with God. And we have this void in our hearts. We We have this hole in our hearts. And we try and fill it with man's approval. We try and fill it with man's approval. Instead of desiring God's approval, today people are seeking inferior substitutes. We want the approval of man which at the end of the day, leaves us empty. It's not satisfying. The reason Paul lived for God's glory and not his own is because he was approved by God. Not by Paul's works, but by the work of Christ on the cross. He was secure in his relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Paul had been clothed in the righteousness of Christ. And he knew that he was accepted by God because of what Jesus had done for him. Think of that metaphor for a moment, and I want to address the youth this morning. Why do you wear the clothes that you wear? What clothes do you think bring approval from your peers? Nancy Guthrie, who is a well-known Christian author... And some of the ladies, I think, have attended one of her seminars. She shares a story with, a, with the same metaphor. She says, When I was pregnant with my daughter Hope, a friend hosted a shower for me. Among the many beautiful things I received at that shower was a nine-month-sized bunting. I'm guessing that's a type of a dress, isn't it? A bunting? Um, It was purchased at one of the nicest children's clothing stores in Nashville. And when Hope was born, a few weeks later, we learned that her life would be very short. The geneticist told us to expect that we would have her for about six months. A couple of months into her life, we were preparing for a special occasion, and I wanted to dress Hope in something especially beautiful. So I took that 9 month size bunting back to the store and asked if I could trade it for something else. The sweet woman working in the store said, "Oh, but don't you want to keep this for when she grows into it this winter? I had to tell her that Hope was not going to live into the coming winter, the kind of awkward conversation I had many times during Hope's brief life. I came away from the store with a beautiful smocked gown, and she wore it the next day. Then a few months later, when Hope died and I handed over her body, The mortician asked if I had a particular outfit I wanted Hope to be buried in and I gave him the smock gown. Hope was beautifully clothed in death but oh how much more beautifully clothed she will be in the resurrection. She and all who are in Christ will be clothed in holiness astounding beauty and radiant glory. Right now, only Jesus is fully clothed with His resurrection glory, but He is just the first. Our future isn't a return to the nakedness of Eden. Instead, Christ has made it possible for all who are joined to Him to be clothed with immortality. She finishes off here. She says, We'll be holy through and through, so glorious. We'll need new eyes to be able to look at each other we're going to be so, so beautiful like Jesus. Let me address the unbeliever in the room this morning. In the room this size I'm not taking for granted that all of us are clothed in the righteousness of Jesus. I'm sure some of you are confused at what I'm, I'm talking about. But let me ask you, have you been clothed in the righteousness of Jesus? Does that it, does it sentence even make sense to you this morning? Do you know what I'm talking about? Have you repented of your sins and been declared righteous by God? That's the question. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. We're going to look at that as we take communion. It tells us, For our sake, God made Jesus, who knew no sin, to become sin for us. So that in Him, we might become the righteousness of God. As Christians, who have put their faith and trust in the work of Jesus on the cross, we are declared righteous. We become the righteousness of God. We're not made perfect and we are not made righteous at that point. We still struggle with sin, don't we, as we, as we go through this life, as we, as we seek the cross of Christ. But we are declared righteous. We are given the righteous garment of our Savior Jesus Christ. In Him we become righteous. And we live our lives for Him. We live our lives not for ourselves. We have been bought with a price. And we belong to Him. And we live for His glory. So let me address the believer at this point. I think the single most significant hindrance to Christian witness in the world today is our hunger For human approval. Are you content in what God says about you because you are in Christ Jesus? Do you find your satisfaction in Jesus? Or do you find your satisfaction in Instagram? Do you find your satisfaction in Jesus? Or do you find your joy in the latest car that has come out on the roads? Sometimes we care more about what we wear than being clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. We care more about being woke than we care about being holy. My challenge to all of us this morning, as we learn from the Apostle Paul and, and Barnabas, is that our identity and our confidence needs to be in Jesus Christ. Our confidence and identity needs to be in Him. Not in what people think about us. Not about our status in this life. That's a slippery slope, folks, that will never satisfy you. And let's pray that this truth will free us from the bondage of human approval. And it will give us the courage to tell the world... The beautiful and offensive message that it so desperately, so desperately needs to hear, for the sake of His glory and not our own, and for the joy of His people. Father, we do thank you for this um, record that has been recorded for us that we can learn from. And it's amazing to see how. What motivated these Apostles to live lives of such agony, suffering, but I have no doubt that there was joy at the end of their lives. I have no doubt that they could say that they had run the race faithfully at the end of their lives. I have no doubt that they were satisfied and knew that they did not waste their lives. Father, that is my prayer this morning. That we would not waste our lives on, on caring what people think about us. That we would not pursue human approval. But Lord, above everything else, that we would care what you think of us. And how we live. And how we respond in difficult times. And how we are faithful with the gospel message that has saved us from our sins. Father, may we want to hear you at the end of our lives say to us, well done, my good and faithful servant. May that drive us, Lord, to live for your glory. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.